Welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs show, a safe place for women to heal and grow, where we discover our value, share our tears as we go through the hard times and rise up as we become empowered to meet our challenges head on. I'm going to digress for one moment and talk about the word confront. That is a very impactful word for a lot of people that is perceived as a negative yet it is taught time and time again that you cannot conquer what you will not confront and confronting does not need to be combative Mm -hmm. confronting really truly means that you're seeking a solution on a problem that's big enough that you care enough about to actually have a solution for Those words were said by today's guest, A. Garcia. Like many women that I speak with, A. Garcia is a survivor of not one, but two abusive relationships. And she's experienced abandonment from the time that she was a toddler, when her own mother ran away. And like many of the very courageous women that I have the great privilege to speak with. The traumatic experiences of her past have created a pathway for her to explore her own healing journey and have given her a passion to help other women who have been abused to move on from PTSD and to move forward through post-traumatic growth. So those words that A. Garcia just shared, they really bear repeating. I'm gonna digress for one moment and talk about the word confront. That is a very impactful word for a lot of people that is perceived as a negative, yet it is taught time and time again that you cannot conquer what you will not confront and confronting does not need to be combative Mm -hmm. confronting really truly means that you're seeking a solution on a problem that's big enough that you care enough about to actually have a solution for confrontation is something that survivors might be forgiven for trying to avoid at all costs and this is often for very good reason. There is often deep trauma associated with past experiences with confrontation. A. Garcia has developed a three-step system to help survivors to have the confidence to face problems that arise from conflicts, to be able to find the solutions needed for them to not only move on, but move forward in life to a better version of themselves for themselves and for those that are in their circle and in their lives. Today's conversation is one that has helped me to gain more clarity on the positive outcome that can be possible and provide the confidence to face that next conflict that arises and maybe do some more healing work of my own on past conflicts that I have been through. And I hope that this episode helps you too. Okay, let's open the door on today's episode. 
I'd like to ask you who you think the hero of this podcast is. I want to tell you the hero is not me. And the hero, as fantastic and amazing as the guests that I have on Tiara's Tears and Triumphs are, they're also not the hero of the podcast. The real hero of the podcast is you. It's you and your transformational journey. It's that engagement that you have as you stand up and you fight for your life. You fight to strive to have the life that you want to live. You make the change. You make it happen. And you can. And I want you to know that and hold your head high, knowing every time that you show up and you listen to another episode that's you being a hero. Just a caution. If you feel unsafe at any time, please stop listening. You can come back anytime you are in a safe place to listen to the rest of the podcast. Your safety is the most important thing to consider. Hello and a very, very warm welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast. Now, um, one of the things I'm not actually used to is that I'm referencing you as A Garcia. Now, can you just tell me about what's the A all about? Well, exactly that. Hey, let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I, I actually do that because I believe that there is a way to be vulnerable and safe at the same time. And if I'm going to talk about it or teach about it, I also need to be an example of it. So as a survivor of a double attempted homicide about 20 years ago, I'm now coming out with my story, sharing my voice, you know, giving inspiration, provoking thought, and just really delivering PTG to the world. I feel like PTG is something that very few people have even heard of, yet PTSD is something that almost everyone has heard of. So tell us about PTG. <laughs> right to the point. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's there and, um, you know, I think it's something that we really need to talk about. Like you said, PTSD is something that, survivors are very familiar with um, and they can obviously relate to but uh, PTG is a new acronym that I haven't um, heard before and I think there'll be many listeners who haven't heard it before too so it'd be really really good if we could take a deep dive into what it's all about. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, no harm, no foul with those of us that don't know. I mean, it's fairly new. PTG was actually recently discovered in the early 90s. Believe it or not, it was two psychologists that actually came up with it, um, Dr. Calhoun and Dr. Tedeschi. And like I said before, it's just a shame that, you know, even though it's been around for a good, you know, almost 30 years now, why aren't other doctors talking about it? So PTG 
stands for post-traumatic growth. And to wrap your head around that, to bring it to simple terms, um, it's basically the transition, the transformation that you yourself go through after experiencing trauma of any sort. And for me specifically, I equate that to, you know, the transformation of um, strength, wisdom, and what you're doing with it. Are you stronger and smarter from it? Are you now able to see things in a preventative manner or a mitigative manner to where, you know, you would either completely avoid or be able to spot something, you know, before it happens or before you end up in a similar situation. So again, PTG, post-traumatic growth, how you've grown as a person mentally and emotionally, wisdom and strength within from that traumatic experience in your life and what you're doing with that wisdom and strength. So is this something that you're you're doing and that you're working with? Oh my gosh, 100%. I have a, a coaching business. Uh, it's called Be Your Incredible Self. <laughs> and that's because I, I believe that all of us, regardless of our trauma, regardless of our frustrations, our struggles, we do want to be the best version of ourselves, especially if we have children as, as mothers, really, we want to give the best that we can, you know, with what we have. And you mentioned something um, earlier before we jumped on this interview about me having a statement as that you can move a million times, but you live in your head. And, you know, that rings true for so many people. And when I break that down, when I say living in your head, it's, you know, what are your core belief system? What is your core belief system? And I, I even break that down, you know, by asking some simple questions, you know, like, what is your definition of being strong? What is your definition of being smart? What is your definition of being successful? And if you're able to write out your personal definition, because no two are the same, everybody has their own definition around those things. It's, are you walking in that? Because if you're not walking in that, you're, you're, you have a gap there. So if you're not walking in your definitions, but your mental state is reiterating over and over, you know, what you, what you think, what you believe, especially if it's wrong, if it's negative, where there's that gap, like I said earlier, you know, then then you're responding like that. You're walking like that. You're acting like that. You're believing that when people are talking to you, they're talking to you from that perspective. And so if those are your negative thoughts, if that's, you know, the repetitive pattern that you're in, then more than likely you're short tempered, you're irritable, you know, you're easily triggered. And that's that's where I come in and, and start to teach post-traumatic growth to un be able to understand and identify where your gaps are, where your emotions reside in your body and how to control them. Because at the end of the day, you can only control one thing in this entire world, <laughs> no matter what. And that's you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm really interested in how you uh, you're talking about, I think, congruency and um, and being in alignment. So and I really, really think that's um, so well illustrated how you've showed that when 
there's this gap there between what your beliefs are and the life that you're actually living at this time. And if it feels like it's falling short, you know, then that's the time where those things will, those knee-jerk reactions will come in um, because of that incongruency or that lack of alignment between the two. And that's just such a great thing to talk about because I think that that is something that is invariably you can't get away from that when it comes to your personal development and growth so there's going to be times like I think maybe that's a bit of an indicator to show you that if you are being reactive there's it's actually a positive sign that there's an opportunity there for you to look at what it is that's out of whack and needs to be brought into alignment and that's where the growth will take place for you and I think that it just continues on I think you know for me I now have this real sense of peace in my life and this real sense of you know contentment but that doesn't mean that I still um that I'm perfect when it comes to having like knee-jerk reactions to certain things and I have this sort of self-awareness that you know that is an opportunity for me when I have those kinds of knee-jerk reactions to um that I'm feeling pressured all of a sudden by something that's happening or somebody said something that that's you know messaging to me that that's something that I need to look at and see you know what it is in me that I need to bring into alignment. So, um, and I never actually looked at it as being post-traumatic growth, but it's such a, a positive way of looking at it because I think, you know, one of the things, and you would have heard this saying too, is that you can either choose to get better or you get bitter. And so when you're looking at PTSD, um, you know, quite understandably, because when you, you know, suffer from PTSD, uh, you know, you can sort of hold yourself in that place and say, well, I'm completely justified in um, having my fears, my phobias, my, you know, everything that is keeping my life small and holding me back in the shadows, because I don't want to risk being hurt again so I'm not going to push myself outside of my comfort zone because um, it's understandable that I would be triggered by x y and z you know and um, and but if you stay in that place that's a really really restrictive place to stay and your life will get smaller and smaller as a consequence um but when you look at engaging in your healing and your recovery then that's where you've got an opportunity to um to heal from those things that the PTSD is you know naturally trying to hold you back and keep you small in your life so it's great that you've got these strategies and these um, techniques that you're using to help women in this area because it's such a positive way for women to I think before we jumped into this interview you, you said something that really struck me which is the 
difference between moving on and moving forward. So can we talk about that for a minute? Sure, absolutely. Um, moving, moving on. So moving on is more of the physical sense, you know, moving when, when you go through, let's say a narcissistic abusive type relationship, society, family, friends expect you to move on. Right. And it's like, when you are the recipient because I don't like to use the word victim. And I, and let, let me talk about that for a moment. So the word victim, and this is a part of the post-traumatic growth, the word victim is when that was happening real time to you, whatever it was, whether it was a moment in time or a period of time, you had no control over it. You were maybe ignorant to what it was considered at the time. And maybe you learned later. You're a victim during that time of when it's actually happening. Once it's no longer happening and you have separated yourself from that environment, you then say or can say or look at it as I'm no longer a victim. However, I was victimized during this time. Once you get through that stage of, you know, seeing where you know, faults lied or where things could have been different because this is an, a normal pattern of thought process as we grow through trauma. We are reflective. We are looking to see what we could have done different. We take some fault. We take some blame. We point some fingers. There's there's a lot that goes on through there. And when you're exiting that stage of, you know, the process, you then, you know, deem yourself and redeem yourself as a survivor because you got through it. It didn't literally kill you and you have, you know, moved on, right? Now, you could also have moved on physically, financially, all of that. And when you are physically in a different place because you've moved on, you realize that you're struggling to move forward because there's that misalignment that we were talking about earlier with your with your mental wellness and your emotional intelligence, right? So if you're believing that you're not going to be able to get a better job or find somebody that you can trust again or get out the house and and find a social group or a supportive group or you know maneuver the way that you did prior to you know, those, those thought processes are where, and that emotional hiccup that comes behind those thought processes are where I'm referring to as moving forward. Because even though you're physically, financially out of that environment, mentally and emotionally, you may, you may not be in that same negative space, but now you're dealing with this new space of trying to figure out who am I? Where's where are all these blankets of doubts coming from? Why am I questioning myself? Why, 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 why all these whys about who you are as a new person? You have to kind of get to know you because for such a long time, your thought pattern was conditioned in with this negativity. So it's actually conducting like brain exercises to intercept that self-sabotaging, those self-sabotaging doubts, and then those actions that follow through with those doubts. Most of us, 
are ashamed and we feel like we can't trust again. And, you know, I talk about that trust a whole lot because ultimately after I break down layer after layer after layer, we get to the core and it comes down to you being able to trust yourself again. You be able to trust your judgment again. You be able, you being able to trust your, your instincts again. You know, we, we have these things and as adults, Sometimes we ignore them, bypass them, question them. And it's like getting back to your authentic self, getting back to your core definitions. Absolutely. So, yeah, I agree 100% with everything that you've said. Um, and what I'm, you know, thinking about is, okay, what does moving forward look like in the context of um so you've got now got this newfound awareness that uh you have these limiting beliefs that are invariably holding you back um and you don't trust yourself and i you know like as you were talking and reach you know reaching that point of at you know at the heart of it is that self-trust is actually, you know, being damaged and that that's something that's really important that um, needs to be healed. But what does that look like? Because, um, you know, it's not like an overnight process, I don't believe anyway. I think, you know, life is a journey and uh, these kinds of transformational journeys that we go on, uh, also take time there's a process involved it's not just um you know you've got point one and point two and uh, you've arrived and you've got that transformation that you're looking for and all of a sudden you've gone from yesterday you didn't have any trust in yourself to today I'm good I, I you know trust my judgment a hundred percent with everything you know you know what I'm saying so what does that process look like for you? Thank you. Thank you for um, breaking that down and asking. Um, that process actually looks like six to 12 months of that journey. Um, what I typically start with is I call it the three C's and that's having clarity, clarity around who your core is. Okay, who's in that core, what your core is and who's in that core. And then we work outwards, right? So if you're at the center and if you're spiritual or religious or whatever, it's you and your creator, you and your, you know, universe, you and whatever you're connected to. And then it's, you know, who are the closest people in, in your unit? Is that your kids? Is that your husband, your wife, you know, your parents? Mm -hmm. And then we, and then we grow outwards. So it's really important that you gain clarity around you. And I always say that if it's hard to understand or identify who you are in the moment or in the real time, same thing, then I know, and I'm willing to put my money down that you know who you're not. <laughs> if you don't know who you are, you know who you're not. <laughs> okay. So that's still a foundation for us to work on and work towards in order to identify that core. And then again, working outward. After we have that clarity, then I work on commitment. Now that you're clear on who you are or who you're not, and you're able to and you're able to identify your barriers and your, I like to call it the onion, okay, because it's layers and layers. You know, what is your commitment and who is your commitment and why are you committed? 
is are you committed because you want to be that better person? Are you committed because you want to be the, a different mother? Are you committed because, you know, your spouse? What is it that you're committed to and why? So that's that commitment is very well needed because that combines into that clarity. Now you're that's clear. That's your motivation. That's right. That's exactly right. And then with that, you call it motivation. I call it the courage. <laughs> That's uh -huh. the three C's, right? So yeah, you're motivated because you have the courage. You have the courage to what I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to um, digress for one moment and talk about the word confront. That is a very impactful word for a lot of people that is perceived as a negative, yet it is taught time and time again that you cannot conquer what you will not confront and confronting does not need to be combative. Mm -hmm. Confronting really truly means that you're seeking a solution on a problem that's big enough that you care enough about to actually have a solution for. So again, that clarity of who you are, who you're not, where your core is and, 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 and the onion of family, friends and, and, and outcasts, whatever back to the commitment who, why, what are you committed to and the courage to follow through with that. Okay. So that is what the program as a little sneak peek, that's like the first three months, you know, three months to the program, the rest falls, falls into place because once you have those three C's, everything else just kind of is easier because you already have the clarity and the momentum and you're conditioning your, your mind to think a certain way um, because you're no longer in that negative space. We're breaking bad patterns, negative habits. And it takes six to 12 months to actually break a bad habit. And it only creates 21, it only takes 21 to 28 days to create a new one. So I don't even really focus on, oh, let's change or work on the negative. Let's just create the positive. So it automatically replaces the negative in a much faster pace. And it's not that I'm looking for speed. I'm looking for quality. Okay. I don't want to teach one thing and then have it negate the other. It needs to balance or replace. And I'm a certified high performance coach through Brendan Burchard. So I use that coaching as my foundation and I put the PTG on top of it. So it is a pretty intense, <laughs> um, you know, program that I have with this. And in that I have a be your incredible self formula. And that is when you are able to have situational awareness and combine that with your emotional intelligence so that you can control your triggers and meet the intended outcome that you are seeking to have. So, for example, let's talk about situational awareness before I give the example. Situational awareness. Who, First of all, be, be aware of yourself, right? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What is your body going through? Who's around you? Who's watching? What environment are you in? What's the best thing to do? Stay and confront and control your triggers and respond accordingly or retreat because you know you cannot do it. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then when you have your, when you add your emotional intelligence, this is where I talk about where your emotions reside in your body. Remember, nobody knows you better than you. So I'll give an example of a positive trigger. Just think about your favorite song. 
your body will start moving. <laughs> You're already feeling it, you know? And a negative trigger, you know where that resides. You'll feel the, the blood rush to your face. You'll feel a, a lump in your throat. You'll get tense in your shoulders. Your stomach will turn into a knot. You know you. You know what your where your emotions reside in your body. And the moment that you recognize that's what's happening, you apply that to your situational awareness. Who, what, where, when, why, how, where am I at? What do I want to do? Again, can I control what I'm feeling right now, these triggers, and respond accordingly? Or should I retreat and come back another time? Let's take a quick break to breathe and hear about how to find the keys that you need to be free. You're off to a great start because you found this podcast to help you to heal your heart. Now, each episode is jam-packed with support and inspiration, but don't forget to check out the episode notes, which is set up to be your life support station. In there, you'll find links to a crisis support list, plus a way to contact us and so much more to help you close the door on fearfulness and pick up the keys to a life where good things are going to be again in store. Okay, take another breath and let it go and turn your attention back to today's show. When you know that you can meet your intended outcome by how you respond, you don't always have to react, which is yeah. what most of us do because we're not taking a moment to assess the situation real quick with ourselves. It's just a knee jerk response. So that's what moving forward really starts to look like. And you're, you're easier. It's, it's easier to identify things as you go about your day, when you wake up in the morning and you think about what can distract me today? What can take me off course today? Where's my focus today? Who am I trying to be in the world today? And how am I going to meet my goals today? When you start having those conversations with yourself at the top of the morning, as you go throughout your day, you're already to identify, you're already able to identify things that, you know what? Nope. <laughs> I'm going to mitigate that. It's not even going to happen. I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to confront that. And, and you make decisions in confidence. You feel healthy and grounded in your decisions because of how well you're getting to know yourself again. I love that. I love the way that you um, showed how to start your day and by asking yourself the right questions to really start the day on a foot of empowerment, you know, a position of choice and not of being a victim of circumstance. So waiting to see, you know, what um, the day is going to throw at you and then, you know, that is going to make you more reactive than rather than, you know, if you're coming from this position of, what do, what do I want it to be? You know, what does it look like for me? What are my priorities for the day? So, yeah, really, really great. I'm, you know, I think that um, the work that you're doing is absolutely amazing. Um, I would like to take a minute to just actually 
talk about um, your own experience with domestic violence because I think that it's really important um, for anyone who's listening to understand your lived experience in this area, which, you know, ultimately gives you your strength of position in understanding what domestic violence is and the needs that women who go through domestic violence have and perhaps you know like just exploring things that you you know could say happened for you that were absolutely um you know pivotal moments and opportunities for you to see that this is a situation that you had to be free from uh, whatever it took to break away okay well, <clears throat> that actually goes pretty uh, pretty deep because I have been exposed to and experienced domestic violence all my life. I didn't know that there were so many forms of it. And so as a child, I was abandoned by my mother who left her husband, my dad, because it was too toxic of an environment for her. So instead of taking her children with her, she left them in that same environment that she was unable to withstand. So I was faced with um, abandonment early on for domestic violence reasons. And because I was left in that environment, I, as a child, grew up around, you know, physical abuse and emotional neglect. Um, my my sister, who you know was left behind with me, she was um, a year younger than me, and she passed away uh, at age two and a half uh, recently, or excuse me, um, not too long after you know my mother had left us, oh, uh, which didn't change the situation whatsoever, other than there was one less you know person um, in the environment, and that just left me there, and so. You know, as a child, I really didn't know. I just thought that that was normal because that's what, you know, the environment that we're in. Now, as time progressed, um, you know, it didn't take long for me to hit outside because that's where my where my life was. I was neglected, like I said, emotionally. My dad worked third shift, worked all day, didn't really um, provide anything other than a roof over my head. The rest was for me to figure out. So, you know, um, outside was it. I washed cars, pulled weeds, mowed lawns, delivered newspapers, whatever I could do just to put bread and peanut butter and jelly in my own tummy, you know? Um, now textbook style, of course, by the time I hit a uh, teenager, uh, I, I knew everything. You couldn't tell me anything. I was, I was in a rush to get out of the house and be independent and all that. I already had a work ethic. I already knew how to get around the neighborhood. And that's the other thing. The neighborhood I was raised in was not the best. You know, we moved very often, you know, every, every year that the, the lease was up is, you know, we moved, it was moving time. So hence where my, uh, where my statement came from as it relates to, you can move a million times, but you always live in your head. And, um, so in the neighborhoods that we, you know, were in and moved, bounced all around, you know, the violence was outside too. It was, you know, game banging, prostitution, you know, drug dealers, all that kind of stuff. So again, it still wasn't something that rested in me as abnormal. Um, so in my teenage years, I, 
uh, was in a very abusive relationship. It was very physical. It was very emotional. It was very disgusting. Um, but I didn't know better. I was a big, I was a big, uh, player in that too, you know? And so when I, uh, wound up pregnant, I said, I am not going to do this. I am not going to bring a baby in the world and be the same thing that either one of my parents were. I'm going to put an end to all of this and figure it out on my own. And, you know, my whole pregnancy was very abusive. It was terrible. And once my daughter was born, it was, um, I would have to say maybe five months. She was five months old. And I ended up packing my stuff and moved to a very cold basement with no heat, uh, no kitchen. It was cement floors, brick walls. I had space heaters, made it a little studio for ourselves. There was a bathroom there with a shower. And that's all I needed. The peace that I had uh, and the environment that was there that I was providing for my child was way better than what it was in a, in a warm home with, mm -hmm. uh, both parents. And so, you know, that it, it didn't stop there. He was still very, um, you know, stalking, uh, showing up, kidnapping my daughter while we're outside playing at the park. I mean, there was so much drama, the abuse, um, the physical abuse, I would have to say, you know, stopped sort of kind of, but the, but the, the, the torture, the, the trauma that came with it, the, you know, those actions that he was doing, the, the stalking, the, the torturing, the tantalizing, the, you know, that's still, it's drama and trauma now. Right. So, um, he ended up, he ended up uh, leaving the States and, cause he got himself into trouble on the street. And that, to me was like, Oh, so much, you know, free. Blessing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but really it wasn't because, you know, his mother then became my new stalker <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, you know, she was very successful in brainwashing me because she was, you know, saying, how do you know how to be a mother? You didn't have a mother. You're not going to understand your child. You're not, you're not going to understand. I, I, I'm a mother of five. I will understand. This is my granddaughter. I'm going to understand her more than anybody and anything. And I literally fell for it. And I, I was working full time. I went back to school for my GED. And in between that time, I would, you know, attempt to pick my, my baby up and she would turn off all the lights, blast, blast the TV and, you know, make it seem like she wasn't home. I had to call the police on several occasions just to get my daughter back. And it wasn't until she was in, I would say, kindergarten that I was like, no more. And I moved out of the city. I got into the suburbs, which was not that far from the city, but it was still out of like <laughs> the metropolitan, you know, area. And, um, you know, I felt like I had my life together. I now had a, a, a daycare center. The school was across the street for her to go to school. I worked around the corner. Even if my car broke down, nobody's going to miss a day. I was just, I became this extreme independent person because everybody that I felt I trusted and loved was, ended up being toxic, ended up being negative, ended up like pulling, draining me. Mm -hmm. And you know, that extreme independence felt 
really good and really great. But then I realized that my world was really small and I wasn't giving anybody a chance. So as I continued and went on to college and stayed working full time and taking care of, you know, my daughter all the time, uh, sharing her every now and then with, you know, the grandmother, because we had that earned respect after that. Um, I decided to let somebody else into my life and, uh, we dated for a couple years. And when I w got pregnant for the second time, um, at, at about the third or fourth month, a job offer was presented to him. And all this time that we're dating, you know, meeting the parents, the siblings, the friends, the coworkers, no red flags. There's the treatment is good. The trust is there. There's no issues. It's going good. Um, so of course he extended the offer to me. Hey, let's move across, you know, country. We can do this, you know, I said, okay. So he left first and I stayed behind because I needed to finish my semester. I wanted my daughter to, you know, at least get to her spring vacation. And then I needed to give my work, you know, the notice and pack my stuff, you know, in peace. And so it was very well planned out. I did all of that. And I ended up driving cross country while I uh, had the movers, you know, bring my stuff at a later time. And so about I was I was seven months pregnant when I drove with my daughter across country. And when I was eight months pregnant, which was like three weeks later, our personal belongings arrived. And when I was unpacking and such excitement to see, you know, what else I needed for the baby and get, you know, nested and whatnot. While I'm unpacking and putting things away, I find the remnants of another woman. So with my eyes bulging out of my head and my heart pounding faster than I can count, I'm replaying all the all the phone conversations we had, all the visits that we had back and forth until I moved out there. You know, was there was there family? Was there friends? What kind of visitors were here? You know, I don't want to just knee jerk react and go to the worst. And so what my, um, you know, what my past taught me and I, and I'll say what you don't learn at home, you learn in the streets. So what the streets taught me is that, you know, give it time and ask later in the day, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I was like, okay, because I know that I was going to be probably raging. I wouldn't be asking questions. I would probably be coming across extremely uh, accusatory. So I at least had the sense to, to wait, wait it out and uh, figure out how I was going to address it in the calmest way possible, because I had just gave up everything, everything. And um, I waited until that evening, picked my daughter up from school, did homework, you know, made dinner, cleaned up everything, everything like normal. So when she fell asleep and I waited some time, it was about 1030 at night. And I said, you know, I just want to ask a quick question because while I was putting my stuff away, I came across, you know, belongings of another woman. And I would like to know, is there something you need to tell me? So I was immediately met with, you know, why were you going through my stuff? And I responded with, perhaps you didn't hear me. I wasn't going through your stuff. I said I was putting my belongings away and came across. So before I was able to finish my statement, I was already on the floor. He was uh, sitting on top of my eight month belly with his left hand around my neck and his right hand closed fist punching me to the head over and over and over. And I vaguely remember, you know, squirming around. I don't recall any yelling or anything like that. I was just trying to squirm my way out of that. And then I heard my daughter's voice. 
mom, mom. And I never heard that scared voice from my child. And as soon as that voice registered to my brain, my body felt this rush of adrenaline just flow through me like nobody's business. And all of a sudden, my feet slam on the floor. My hips are thrusted towards the ceiling. My neck is used as a kickstand to roll him off of me. Somehow, some way, I got right on my feet. Like I just bounced like a spring up on my feet, ran around the couch to grab my daughter who was taking her very last step off that last stair, grabbed her hand, and we ran out of the house just like that. And the first place that had their lights on, I'm knocking on the door. Can I please use your phone? You know, and and I did make the call. I absolutely made the call. And I was in such disbelief that this was my circumstance right now. I'm eight months pregnant. I have my eight-year-old daughter. I do not know anybody in the area, no family, no friends. And now I don't have a pot to pissing or a window to throw it out of because what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? What what are my options? Okay. What seemed like all night, which it wasn't all night, but it seemed like all night waiting for the cops to arrive and share my story and all that, you know, they told me that it seemed as if it was pretty much premeditated because of where and how it the, the markings were like, he wasn't punching me in my face. He was punching me in my head. So It was to reduce the evidence, but to cause severe damage. And, you know, I was just like, I don't even know this guy anymore. I don't know him. I have no idea who he is. Uh, I'm nothing if this is what he would do to his own child. So I, um, you know, did everything that I was supposed to do, what I would tell my daughter to do. You better tell the truth. You better stand up for who you are and what you're not and 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 be an example of the strong woman you want your child to be in this world. You cannot control what's not seen. You can only control what's in front of them at the moment. And, you know, as devastated as I was during that time, I did keep her in the background. And what I mean by that is busy with friends talking to other parents that I was able to share my situation with that supported what I was going through and tried to help to their best ability. The only thing I needed help with was please give my daughter your child to play with. (laughs) So her childhood is not as disrupted and she doesn't have to feel all of what I'm going through. And I'm here to tell you that there's not real-time resources for real-time victims. You know, it's the middle of the night. I'm asking the cops where I can go, what I can do. They don't have answers. There's not a shelter that I can go knock on a door. There's not any place that I can go at any given time of the day, give my situation and have something there. There's not, 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 not even 24 hours or 48 hours or 30, you know, however long there, it, get in line, fill out the application, you know, hopefully your phone doesn't turn off. So you could get that phone call, you know, there are so many things that fall into what is available and how quick is it available to you? By the time people ended up calling me back or trying to reach out, my circumstances had changed and therefore my needs had changed by that time. So it was, it was the most devastating traumatic experience. I would say I've gone through 
And I realized after all of that, that it was not just physical abuse. It was not just financial abuse. Like all of those things fall under that narcissistic behavior where every single thing that makes you, I don't want to say independent, but reliable on yourself is taken away. So they have full control over everything. And I had no idea what that looked like before. My red flags were, is there verbal abuse? Is there physical abuse? Is there screaming, yelling, da, 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 you know? I didn't consider friends being taken away, family being taken away, support system being taken away, all finances being taken away, being in a brand new area where, yeah, literally this person had all control. And of course, I had my nights of, why me? How is this happening? What's what's going on? I can't believe this, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, as much as I hate to sound insensitive when I when I follow up with this, but I couldn't spend my time doing that because it was getting me nowhere. I had to shift my thoughts and shift my prayers to, okay, Lord, I'm here. You, I'm here for a reason. I have to believe that I'm so that I'm not given anything that I cannot endure. So I'm no longer asking why I'm no longer asking what now I'm asking for the strength and the endurance and, and, and the continued adrenaline that I need to seek and, and solve provide and protect and do everything that I possibly can with what I have. Because as a parent in, in all situations, we can only give the best with what we have. Mm -hmm. And that became my, my main focus, protect, provide with the best that I can. The doctor already said, I can't go back home. I can't fly. I can't drive. I can't do anything. So here I am high risk. I can't go back to where I know. And quite honestly, I'm so freaking ashamed and embarrassed that I don't want to go back. And then if I go back, is all that gossip going to get around? Is then he going to know where I'm at? Is he going to, I don't want it. I don't want it. So for me living out of my car, figuring out what I was going to do, where I was going to go, how it was going to pan out. That was, that was the best option at that time. You've been through so much. You've been through, you've been to hell and back in your life. And, um, you know, my heart goes out to you, but I know that everything that you endured has created this super strong person that I'm talking to today who actually knows her own mind um and is in the driver's seat of her life i'm very grateful to you for sharing all that you shared just now because that was a hell of a lot um and you went through so much that you'd never wish upon anybody to go through in their life um and you what you've done is you've you know, you've really um, highlighted some of the very practical um, things, problems that exist for victims of domestic violence. And when you talked about, you know, you leaving and really not having an option of anywhere to go, it's there's certain times in our lives where we deserve to be rescued. Um, 
there's certain times in our lives where we need to learn how to rescue ourselves. But that time where you're eight months pregnant with a young child and you are at high risk is a time in your life where you deserve to be rescued. And you should never have been in that place of having no alternative but to live in your car to try and figure out what your next move was going to be. I'm so sorry that you went through that. And I know from my own experience how many gaps there are in the system. And when you were talking about by the time services get in contact with you, your critical needs have changed and they're, they're just always behind the eight ball with what you actually need. And that puts you in a position where you have to advocate for yourself and say, actually, no, that's no longer a need. What I actually need now is this. But when you're dealing with all the trauma on top of it, you're in just complete survival mode. And I understood what you were talking about when you were talking about having to be that protector, the provider, to wear all those different hats. And for that reason, you couldn't dwell on the why me's or, you know, like really what am I going to do? You couldn't stay in that place of uncertainty. You had to take action. There was no, you know, like being, having a dependent, having a child, you know, to care for, having to negotiate a pregnancy and being, you know, only weeks off being your due date for having your next baby. There's so many practical needs that you had at that time to negotiate and there needs to be, there, I know that the, the system is continuously refining and improving and trying to fill those gaps, but they still exist. And, um, you know, that's, I'm sure, one of your motivations for creating your own not-for-profit. So how about we we talk about the positive now and have a little uh, look into what your not-for-profit is because I'd love to know more about it. Thank you so much. If I may, before I start in the um, nonprofit, I wanted to share some lessons learned from that experience that I think can help help some of the listeners. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Um, I just want to say that with that extreme independence that I <laughs> kind of revived after, you know, that incident of saving our lives that evening. Um, there's a couple of things that, that took place. There's, there's the, the longer term effect after experiencing something like that. And the body parts that I used to save our lives that night, my hips and my neck, um, about seven years afterwards, I needed to have major surgery. Uh, and it was back to back to back. It was the neck first, and then it was the hips. And those were the only two things that I, that I, that I had to use in order to, you know, catapult this guy off of me. And so later I endured, you know, bodily injuries, um, that have, you know, that are going to impede my everyday life. And so, 
again, back to that moving forward, right? We can move on, but moving forward. So even though that situation was years ago, now when you're dealing with physical ailments from that, you know, there is that that trauma that resurfaces, the things that you need to face mentally and emotionally, spiritually, financially, all of those things are impacted once again. So it's having that that strength and that wisdom that you that you were able to have during that, you know, however long of a time and continuously apply it to your life when you're feeling certain ways from that experience. That's the first thing that I wanted to say, because a lot of us experience bodily injury later in life from what we endured earlier on. The other thing is that when my daughter uh, was leaving the nest and she said, you know, I really am sorry for what you know you went through. And I appreciate all that you've done to keep us safe and be the helicopter mom, even when I didn't like it and fought against it and yada, yada. She said, <clears throat> I just want to tell you that although you were always there for me, I can reach out and touch you at any given time because you were always there. She said, emotionally speaking, you were not. And I was like, what did you tell me? <laughs> because for me, being the provider and the protector is the love, 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 love. What are you talking about? And for her... She didn't understand that because she didn't have the capacity and she wasn't on the receiving end. And I had to accept what she was saying and had to really look at myself and say, was I emotionally there where I have to validate her feelings and having that void because that's on me, even though I thought I was doing giving and providing for her. Yeah, all of that. But this big part was missing. So I really took that to heart. I um, immediately went out and got the five love languages book and I had her read that with me. And we took the, the test at the end and we were able to identify our love languages and started putting that into play. And I will share with you that in the beginning, she thought I was being sarcastic. She thought that, you know, I was just trying to appease her and this isn't you. And, you know, I was like, listen, girl, I'm really trying here. So I'm reading and applying. If you don't, if you are going to take that approach, you're going to push me away really fast. Either you want this or you don't, because I'm trying for real. It's my like sincere efforts here, you know, mm. and, and it took a while. So the reason why I'm sharing this is because when we go through trauma, when we go through the moving on and the moving forward when we experience different triggers when we're short when we're snappy when our tolerance is low you know think about how you are emotionally feeding your children because they need to be fed emotionally and I didn't realize that everything I was trying not to do as it relates to repeating patterns from my parents in this particular situation, that is what I did. I was emotionally neglected by my father and my mother was never around. So I was double whammied with that emotional. And then I started thinking, oh my gosh, was I, was, was the grandmother telling me the truth? Was it that I didn't know how to be a mother because of this? It was, no, that's not it. I gave what I could give with all that I had. I just never got fed emotionally. So that is one area that I lacked. However, it's never too late. So just apply. 
So I hope that you got something from, from those statements on my lessons learned being extremely independent and being a helicopter mom, but not being emotionally available. Yeah. Those thank two- you. It's something that um, I off, uh, happen to talk about quite a bit, actually, is this, you know, helicopter parenting and that's been my own experience. And it's absolutely natural that, you know, that's going to be the type of response that you have when you, are in survival mode with your children and it brings all your role as the protector right to the fore and makes that your top priority and you know that your language of love to your children is making sure that they're safe but that can then make you reactive to them and instead of, you know, giving you the space to be patient with them and give them the freedom that they need to find the confidence in themselves for the person who they are and that they learn to trust in themselves that they have the strength to be able to negotiate, you know, problems in life and figure things out for themselves you know like it is it is something that us mums really need to be aware of as we go through um, life being parents and you know have just have a little look and see how your relationship is sort of standing up with your child and and how close you actually are how much is your child coming to you and and sort of opening up and being vulnerable with you because the more they are the uh, that's a really good sort of sign that you're in a good place with your kids and it's great that your daughter you know had the courage to say that to you it would have taken courage on her part to actually have that conversation with you knowing you know what a strong mum she has and that you know her mum has always actually tried to be there for her in a very real way through life to actually say to her but I've actually still missed something really important from you that I'd really you know really need mum you know that's that shows that she's growing up to be you know really strong person in herself so which is always you know you've got to take some credit as as a mum that um you know you've raised her in that way to be able to be courageous and speak her truth even when you know, it may potentially, she's not in control of how mum's going to react to to those words. So, yeah, good on both of you for, um, you know, going down that healing path with, you know, your relationship. I know that I always look for opportunities with my kids. I know that I have not gotten it perfect with them. I know going through a time of, you know, incredible trauma that um, that I wasn't able to be the most balanced mum in the world during those times. I did the very best job that I could to negotiate everything, but I know that there's things that they've missed as a, as a consequence. So there are, it is never too late. There's always opportunities to, to heal things, um, especially with your kids who there's nothing in the world that you wouldn't do for them. So, yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I have absolutely loved this conversation that we've had. Um, I Before we go, a couple of things, I'd like you to just take an opportunity to, to share any links for listeners to come and find you if they'd like to connect with you. Oh, yes, absolutely. So I did share Be Your Incredible Self. That is my that is my coaching program and mentorship. Uh, it's all spelled correctly. It's be your incredible self, uh, com, And it's the same on Facebook and social media platforms. The nonprofit organization that I recently launched literally just three weeks ago is called Confronting Domestic Violence. And I can't believe that it was available. I'm so stoked that it is and that uh, I was able to launch um, that. That website is confrontingdv.org. And um, the mission is to provide real-time resources to real-time victims so that they do not need to leave everything behind when they are leaving for safety. To put things into perspective, some people do not leave because they don't have the financial means to leave. And some people do have the financial means to leave and choose not to for whatever those reasons are. Our mission is to provide those relocation services for those that do not have the means to relocate on their own and are ready to. So right now I have a full on program in the state of Nevada and I am currently looking for volunteers or any moving companies that are willing to align with this mission, save lives and give children a second chance. That's absolutely fantastic. Just share really quickly with my own experience. I was one of those people who um, was very strapped financially because there was so much financial abuse I lost in my home. I just had no absolutely zero equity. I had nothing. I had no credit card, no backup. I was living, you know, hand to mouth, week to week. And um, I ended up garage sailing as much as I could. I think you call them yard sales over there. And um, I ended up, I think, borrowing, I think it was $800 from a friend that I managed to repay that within 12 months of after moving. But um, it was so hard for me to get the resources together to cover the costs of a removalist, to get that um, first month's rent and bond together to make it happen, to make sure that, you know, I could transition somewhere. Transition housing is like, it's a real passion of mine too. I know it's one of the, the things that's, you know, sorely needed is women need to is have that opportunity to have somewhere for them to get their ducks in a row if you like so that they can find that long-term situation you know housing solution for them because it's not easy to go from fleeing to going into a, a full-time lease somewhere it you know it takes takes weeks to put in applications for rental properties. And, and what are you doing in the interim? You know, where are you in the interim? You know, there's all these needs that need to be met. And I'm so, so grateful to you for 
um, you know, putting your time and energy into creating this resource for women. And I wish you every success with your not-for-profit. So thank you so much for being a guest. Now, one of the questions I always ask my guests is because this podcast is called Tiara's Tears and Triumphs, what does that title mean to you? Well, I will say that triumph triumph is within and definitely knowing that you were able to conquer your biggest battles and struggles and knowing that neglecting yourself and your mindset is the is the heftiest price you'll ever pay and I believe once you recognize that and wrap your head around that you are already triumphant because now you know your worth and you're heading towards the right direction. Yeah, I'd say amen to that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you for having me. If you would like to be a part of a growing community to fast track your healing journey, you can do this in a couple of ways. One way you can do this is to become a supporter of this podcast by becoming a patron. This will help me to help you and other people just like you to discover the resources that are included in this podcast to help you rise back up after hitting rock bottom, after experiencing different forms of abuse. And like I said, you can do this by becoming a patron of this podcast. It's super easy. Just go to the episode notes and click on the link to become a patron. When you are a patron, you will receive exclusive bonuses like the behind the scenes audio files with deep and meaningful insights from conversations with guests that are not included in the podcast interviews plus there are a range of special building blocks to help you to rebuild your life so go check it out and you can join the growing rise up with tiara's tears and triumphs facebook group with over 400 members where you can troubleshoot issues you're having. Every victim and every survivor of abuse has expertise. And being part of a community of peers gives you a safe place to get answers to questions that you have and to share what you know with others. Again, just go to the episode notes to become a member of the group today. We all go through dark times. When we do, we often feel alone. This is a safe space for you to come and look for some light. I'm a survivor of an abusive relationship and for a long time I had no voice because I was too scared to speak up and speak out about what was happening to me. I couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel, but when I turned a corner in my life, the light started filtering through and I left my old life behind. I am here now to help other women feel seen, heard 
and valued. I'm reaching out with my light shining on you to help you find your way out of the darkness. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. A note of encouragement. If you are struggling with your mental health, please reach out for support with some form of counselling. If you don't know where to start to find a counsellor, a good place to start is to talk with your doctor. There are also many online counselling supports available. And a word of advice, if the counsellor is not a good fit for you, try another. And if you need to, try another until you have one that is the right fit for you. Tune in again for the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast, helping women who have been hurt to heal and grow, hosted by me, Sandy J. This program provides a safe place to work on inner peace and a strong mindset spells out how to spot the red flags, advises on ways to stay safe and work on effective safety planning, gives tips on how to look after you when things are tough, teaches empowerment strategies, acknowledges life's challenges and explores ways to meet these challenges head on to go from surviving to rising to striving and finally to thriving. The show includes interviews with other survivors who have come out the other side, who share their stories and insights, as well as interviews with therapists and people working in support roles. I am a survivor and I use my experience and skills to help other women like me. Please listen and be uplifted to rise in this safe space where dignity, kindness and compassion are treasured. And don't forget, if you need some support, I am here for you. I don't want any woman to suffer alone in silence. I don't want any woman to feel oppressed and feel that there is no way out. I want you to know that you can turn a corner. I am a life change facilitator. I help women regain control over their lives. You can find me at sandyj.com.au. Hey now, can you just pause a moment before you go? Because I need you to share your light and leave a review. Can you just take a quick minute to leave a review in iTunes? to let other women know this is a show they can trust. It would mean the world to me if you could help shine a light for someone who can't see the light at the end of their tunnel. I need you to do this for someone else who needs some support and encouragement. If you like this show, please subscribe and you will automatically be updated with future episodes when they are released. And please share this podcast with anyone you know who it might help. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Sending you lots of love and light and above all else, wishing you well. You are brilliant. Keep shining.
Stay safe, Sandy.